We have been bombarded by the secular media and by the secular culture about ideas and concepts in marriage that is totally foreign to the Word of God. And the problem with Christians is that we get brainwashed just like the rest of the world. And therefore, when we come and hear the Word of God spoken and presented to us as the blueprint, the design of God for a marriage, we bristle. You see, when it comes to that issue of what is the ideal marital relationship, there are many conflicting voices. They really are. I mean, you don't have to tell you that. I'm honestly convinced in my own heart as an analyst and as a sociologist other than just a preacher is that it really is a miracle of God that we're not in more mess than we are in because of these conflicting voices that are constantly bombarding us from the secular world and the secular media. The human wisdom, the human logic that is constantly thrown at us. There are so many opposing views and and many conflicting arguments. And the consequences is we have broken hearts and broken lives and broken homes as a result. There are so many advisors and counselors and so-called experts who often argue from a bad experience and tell you what a happy marriage should look like. They're causing more harm than good. And I think in the midst of this mayhem, I believe our designer, our maker, our creator holds up to us the blueprints, the design for a happy, contented, joyous marriage. And for us to reject it is to our detriment. Sometimes I try to visualize what's going on like this in our society, particularly in this issue. (laughs) And I really, I have a vivid imagination, as most of you know. And I try to imagine a group of day laborers decide to build a skyscraper without an architectural input. (laughs) I mean, just try to imagine how things be falling apart if that would take place. That's exactly what is happening. Have you noticed how some of these movie stars and television stars who have half a dozen failed marriages, come on television and give you advice on marriage. I mean, all of a sudden, they become experts. How in the world? Have you ever heard of a medical student, after failing the boards six times, become a medical expert? Have you ever heard of a law school graduate who failed his board examinations six times, and then they come and become, hey, he is the great authority. She's the great authority in jurisprudence. Now, I've not seen that, and, but somehow Hollywood's chewing gum heads, you know, they, they are experts on marriage. And unfortunately, they sweep even church people off their feet. I discovered that Rodney Dangerfield is an honest man when it comes to that issue. He might not get respect, but I tell you what, he, here's what he said about his marriage, talking about his wife. He said, you know, we eat apart, we take separate vacations. We never see each other. We are doing everything we can to keep the marriage together. (laughs) I read not so long ago a true story about a marriage counselor considered to be one of the great experts. He was listening to a couple in his office counseling them. 
And in the midst of there, after he listened to them for a while, he attempted to kind of bring hope into what seemed to be kind of irreconcilable differences. And, and so he leaned forward and, and he interjected and he said, you know, he said, the problem that you seem to be having is that you both are concentrating and, and reacting to minor problems in life. He said, I, I know how you feel, though, because I had the same problem with my fifth wife. A true story. Now, let me invite you to go with me to the blueprints, to the designer's guide, to see what God's Word had to say about a contented, joyous, and happy marriage. Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 1 to verse 7. Whenever you get to the Scripture, let me repeat what I've been saying, and I'll always say that, because I have seen with those eyes how heresies have started and how people went off the rails when they tried to interpret the Scripture, not in context, not only historical but theological context, and then apply it to today's life. So let's put this passage of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 to 7, in its historical context. In fact, somebody told me years ago, asked me some years ago, he said, how come that of those seven verses, Peter spends six of these seven verses talking to wives and only one verse to husbands? Well, I'll tell you what I said back then. I take full responsibility for my answer. It's not biblical, but it's my thought. I said, men's attention span can only take one verse. (laughs) Oh, the elbows are flying. But actually, there is truth, biblical truth, as to why six verses are focused on Christian wives and only one verse to Christian husbands. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you in historical context as to why. In Roman society, to whom the Apostle Peter is writing at that time, it was the accepted thing that a wife should always follow and have the same religion as her husband. So in the book of Acts, whether it be Cornelius or whether it be the Philippian jailer, when the head of the household made a decision to follow Christ, the entire household followed him. So it was the normal practice when the husband becomes a Christian, the whole family became a Christian, and the wife became a Christian. That was a common practice. But, Here's the problem that Peter is dealing with. If the wife becomes a Christian and the husband remain as a pagan, that created a huge problem in society. Really huge. I mean, you, it would take me a long time to explain to you the upheaval that was created in society at the time. Now, of course, given men's temperament, which really has, hasn't changed very much from those early days, a husband... When he saw his wife changed and became a believer, became a Christian, when she changed her religion, if you like, in that kind of concept, the husband saw that as an incredible challenge to their manhood. They saw that as a challenge to their authority as the heads of the household. A wife, at any time in the Roman Empire, could add One, two, three, four, five gods, as many gods as she wants to, to the household gods, and that was fine by the husband. There was no problem with him. In fact, they said, the more the merrier. We need more gods, not less. 
Because they felt that the more gods they have, the more protected, the more blessed, and all the rest of it. But the problem had arisen when an unbelieving Roman husband looks at his wife and she says, Guess what? There's only one God, and his name is Jesus. What? What do you mean you are abandoning all of the gods that we have been worshiping and sticking just to worshiping one God? What do you mean you are, you are doing away with all the other gods and that we will have only one God? We need more gods, not less gods. And the unbelieving Roman husband, like the unbelieving Western husband, does not understand when his wife comes home and says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. He could not understand that. So, because of the very specific problem that had arisen among the believing wives in the Roman Empire, who had married to unbelieving husbands, Peter spent six verses talking to believing wives, and one verse to believing husbands. In fact, to a believing husband, I'm going to tell you a bit later on, but to a believing husband, basically, Peter has a very simple message. It really is. Very simple. Just very simple. Give away the store. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all he's saying. At verse 7, I'm going to come back to it. Here's what he's saying. He said, you know, husbands, you need to be thoughtful, Caring, giving, supportive, nurturing, sensitive, understanding, and considerate. And on and on and on. Give away the store. That's what he's saying. It's a very simple thing. Said, not done. <laughs> it's like a newspaper cartoon I saw not so long ago of a wife you know, folding her arms like this and looking at her husband and kind of uh, with one of those superior expressions upon her face. You know what I mean? Guys, you understand what that look, you know? And, and here was, here's what she was saying. She said, a good husband needs to be strong, caring, and sensitive. You have all but three of these qualities. <laughs> That's telling a minute. An unknown poet penned these words, words of wisdom for husbands to help you out here, guys. Listen. To keep a marriage brimming with love in the love cup, whenever you are wrong, admitted, whenever you are right, shut up. <laughs> what Peter actually does here is give more responsibility to the Christian husband in one verse than to the Christian wife in six. That's the truth. Read it when you go home. So now you understand why he spends six verses talking to Christian wives and one verse to a Christian husband. What does the Word of God then say to a believing wife who is, has an unbelieving husband? And by implication, the Word of God doesn't say that, but it's by implication. What does the Scripture say to a believing spouse who is married to an unbelieving spouse? I think that's sort of by implication more than anything else. First of all, he is saying, you don't have to use words in order to witness to your faith. Secondly, he's saying that your inner beauty of character is your greatest asset. Thirdly, he is saying, your submission to God 
will liberate you from all fears. Fourthly and finally, here's what he's saying in verse 7. He's saying, learn to live in harmony. He's talking to husbands and wives now. He's saying, learn to live in harmony together. For this is how you are going to get your prayers answered. Now let's unpack this together. First of all, he's saying, you don't have to use words in your witnessing. Likewise, wives, submit to your husbands, so that if any of them is not a believer, would be won over without a word being said. I was talking to a very precious friend of mine just this week, and she said to me, she said, do you know how hard that is? (laughs) I said, not from experience, but I can understand. I can understand. Let me ask you, ladies, do you really want to know what Peter's saying here? Do you really want to know? You do? Okay, then it's your fault. I'm, I'm going to tell you. You asked for it. Here's, here's what Peter is really saying. Peter knew and understood that when a wife particularly becomes a Christian, or a husband for that matter, because addressing wives, when they become a Christian, and you know when you came to the Lord, and you know the joy of walking with the Lord, you know the excitement of walking with the Lord, you know what it is to fellowship with God, and all of a sudden to know that your sins are forgiven, and you are free in Christ, and that you're going to heaven, and you are full of enthusiasm, you are full of vim and vigor, and you're excited about your newfound faith, and all you want to do is suck at your husband. Say, you too need to come with me and become a Christian. What happens to a new Christian woman is that she does not basically yet has grown to understand the depth of the Scripture, or a new Christian of any kind, that conversion is the work of God. And it's going to happen in God's timing, not yours or mine. (laughs) To my chagrin, I wish it is up to me. But it is the work of God. And Peter understands that. And he's saying, look, be patient. Because in due course, God is going to work in his life. And he's going to bring him to the kingdom. Just you pray for him. You exercise love toward your husband. And you're going to see that God is going to do his work in his life. That's what he's saying here. And he's saying, don't nag him about Christ. Don't nag him about Christ. That is going to turn him off. It's going to be counterproductive. You just be a witness to him. Peter's not saying ignore him. He's not saying give him the cold shoulder. He's not saying when he asks you questions about the faith, don't respond. No, 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 no. But rather he's saying demonstrate the character of Christ. And Peter is saying, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to be easier for you to follow the example of Christ, because he's going to give you the power to follow the example of Christ. And therefore, he is saying in this passage, follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Model him in your life. Follow him. And that is why I have entitled this message, Develop Your Blesses. Characteristic. This is, this is the one who blessed you, and this is his characteristics, and you need to develop it, men and women. Now, for those of you single people, Peter's not saying anything here to you, but I can tell you the Apostle Paul in chapter 6, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians is. He's saying, don't get unequally yoked. He is saying for a Christian single person, don't marry an unbeliever. That's a word from the Scripture for you. 
And don't ever fall in the temptation and say, man, you know, I'll marry him, I'll marry her, and then I'll convert him. I'll convert her. Now, God might do that. I'm not going to second guess God. But what you're doing, you're tempting God when you break the injunction. An old Puritan gave this following advice. If you marry a child of the devil, you can expect to have trouble with your (laughs) father-in-law. You see, Peter is speaking to the spouse who became a Christian after they were married. But the scripture has other things to say to singles elsewhere. So he's saying, look, you don't have to use words when you are witnessing to your spouse. Secondly, he's saying, your inner beauty is the beauty of your character. Let the beauty of your character manifest itself. Let the beauty of your character, which is your greatest asset, Speak for you. You know, in every culture and in every generation, people have different concepts of what beauty is. It really is. Our society is so mixed up right now. Our culture is so messed up right now. Society's idea of beauty today is somebody who's so thin, you can see the light through them and, you know, wear size 2 and... And size 50 in confidence. I mean, you know, we, we put so much pressure on women, it is absolutely wicked. But every society and every culture and every time, there is a concept of beauty. And that's always changing. Culture is never a static. Culture is always dynamic. Things are changing. And I pray to God that the people of God be able to change this culture so we don't have those kinds of expectations. In Peter's day, their idea of a woman's beauty... It was in spending of hours upon hours upon hours in braiding their hair. Really. That's their idea of beauty. And then once they got it all braided, they stick as much silver and gold in the hair as they can afford. So that was their idea of beauty at that time. The apostle Peter is saying, look, there is a principle here about beauty that you might not have thought about. So what is that principle? The principle is this. Modest dress and modest appearance that would not attract attention to yourself is the principle here. Certainly the Apostle Paul deals with those issues both to the Corinthians and when he writes to Timothy. And he deals with a woman's dress, particularly in worship, in the church. And the point the Apostle Paul makes in those, and I think Peter extends it here, is that ladies, don't dress provocatively. That's what he's saying. He is saying, be modest in your dress. Why? Because the focus of worship should be on God and not you. Peter is saying that there is a form of beauty that is more precious, that is more impacting, that is more powerful, that is more arresting. And that is the beauty of your godly character. Peter is not saying, go around looking haggard. (laughs) He's not saying that. Absolutely a million no. So don't go outside saying, well, Michael said, you know, I can look haggard. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Peter is saying, look nice. But be sure that your inner beauty of character shines through in your life. That's what he's saying. Someone said, you know, a beautiful young person is an accident. 
But a beautiful older person is a work of art. <laughs> I love that. The inner beauty of gentle spirit. You know what? I spend hours trying to find out the real biblical definition. What does scripture mean? What does Peter mean by the beauty of a gentle spirit? What does that mean? It means, ladies, that you're not critical. It means that you are not pushy or aggressive or assertive. It means that you are not whining all the time. It means that you are not a spokesman on every subject, every time and everywhere. But rather the beauty of inner character that speaks words of encouragement, speaks words of wisdom, speaks words of uplifting people and encouraging people. It speaks words of wise counsel when the need arises. That's what the beauty of the inner character means. You don't have to use words to witness to your unbelieving spouse. Your inner beauty is your greatest asset and will speak volumes. And thirdly, the Apostle Peter said, Your submission to God will liberate you from all forms of fear. Look at the second part of verse 6. It's right there. What Peter is trying to tell us is that there are different levels of submission. He is saying that your submission to God must be first and foremost than other submissions to other human authorities. And here he says to wives that your submission to God should be above your submission to your husband. Look at the second part of verse 6. He said, if you do right, then let nothing terrifies you. That's what he's saying. He is saying that to a believing wife in that Roman culture, indeed to our culture, that if you fear God and not your husband, you will find joy in ministering to your unbelieving husband. If you place God in His rightful place in your marriage and your life, your unbelieving husband will be a great blessing to you. That if you honor God and His Word above all else in life, you will have confidence and inner peace that the world can never understand. In verse 6, he is saying that because you fear God, you have nothing and no one else to fear. That's what he's saying here. You don't have to use words in your witnessing. Your inner beauty is your greatest asset. Your submission to God will liberate you from fear. Fourthly and finally, Peter is saying to the Christian husband that you must know everything that is to be known about your wife. He's saying, get a doctoral degree in studying her. Do whatever it takes to live with her according to knowledge. That's what it means. You cannot love, serve, and minister to your wives until you really know your wives. That's what he's saying here. I told you Peter gives more responsibility to Christian husband in one verse than in six verses to Christian wives. And I want you to just think about this. Just think about what he's saying here. That's a loaded verse. I could take several sermons on that verse alone. It is a loaded verse. Think about it. He's saying, you've got to know your wives, men. Even Freud, the great psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever he was, he said, you know, women, who can understand them? But let that not be an excuse for you, because Freud is a fraud. <laughs> that should not be an excuse. 
to know your wife, to live with her according to knowledge, you must know what brings her joy and what pains her. You must know what encourages her and lifts her up and what discourages her. You must study her and know what blesses her and what causes her grief and and, and dread. He is saying, live with your wife according to knowledge. What does that mean? It means that you have got to understand when your wife wants to talk to you, And be ready to talk to her. Guys, let me tell you something. That often is in the middle of your favorite news program. Or sports program. So living with your wife according to knowledge means that you need to be ready. Watching your favorite news or sports program. But your finger is on the mute button. That's what living according to... I'm giving it to you right down practical life now. Okay? Listen, in the past 30 years, I made my fair share of mistakes. God knows, and my wife knows. I'm trying. (laughs) Living with your wife according to knowledge. Listen to me, please. I'm, I'm coming to probably the very heart of this passage, the most important part. Living with your wives, or with your husbands for that matter, according to knowledge, does not mean you pander to your wife or give in to your wife. That is not what Peter's saying. That, I am convinced, is the opposite of what Peter's saying. Why? Why is he saying that? Because he knows that sooner or later, pandering and giving in just because you could not take the time and the energy and the effort to know your wife, giving in is going to backfire and is going to cause more harm than good. Pandering and giving in is not the same as being in unity, which is he's asking us to do right here. Being in agreement is very different from just giving in. Being in harmony is very different when we just say, okay, keep the peace. No. Pandering and giving in will not get your prayers answered, but being united together in soul, body, and spirit, being united together in purpose and in prayer, will answer your prayers. That is the very secret for answered prayers. You don't have to say amen. I want you to look at verse 7. It doesn't say pandering or giving in so that your prayers might be answered. No, 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 no. He's saying be in agreement. He's saying be united in heart, spirit, and soul, so that your prayers may be answered. Or as some of your translation probably have it, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Same thing. From the book of Amos. Can two walk together unless they agree? To Jesus in Matthew 18, when two of you agree on something and ask the Heavenly Father, He will answer it. Peter comes in here. He heard the Lord Jesus say these things. He heard Him teach these important, very important principles for spiritual growth. And Peter comes in and he says, You know, the microcosm for answered prayer is the unity between husband and wife. I am personally convicted, and I'm personally convinced that the one thing that will bless you and bring answers to your prayer is unity of the Spirit. will be in the home, the church, any institution that fears God. 
unity of spirit. And guess who knows that? The devil. (laughs) He knows that as much as you do, more than you do. He knows that this is a source of spiritual power in your life. He knows that's a source of spiritual strength in your life. So what does he do? He goes around dividing people. He goes around dividing husbands and wives. He goes around dividing families. He goes around dividing churches. And the secret to prayer, and to answer prayer, says the Apostle Peter, is when husband and wife are in total Agreement. Someone might say, well, wait a minute. Well, what if we don't agree? What if we can't agree? Wait until you do. Because giving in is not going to bless you. What's the rush? Wait until you do. I want to tell you something. I told you earlier how in this secular society, we try to use human logic and worldly wisdom to solve our problems and get on with life. But I want to tell you something. You are the people of God. You're not supposed to think that way. We're not supposed to think that way. We're supposed to be expecting to walk in faith. We're expected to see supernatural works of God in our lives. We're supposed to see miracles in our lives, not just once or twice, but every single day. And if you believe God and you come to God in prayer, in unity, God will change hearts. God will perform miracles. God was going to do great and mighty things than you could ever imagine. Because that's His Word, not mine. My wife would testify to you to the experiential truth of this promise. We have claimed that promise literally more than a dozen times in our lives. We have claimed the promise of God when we came together in agreement and God answered our prayers time and time and time again. It would be impossible for me to doubt it. Because God promised it. And God always keeps His promises. And God not only answered our prayers beyond our expectations, I know He wants to answer your prayers. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.